Welcome. You're listening to Sanseet, where you'll find everything to do with spirituality, life lessons, holistic living, and medicine to become your true self. We all have stories, journeys, experiences, and love. Here's your host, Aaron O'Dowd. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Sanseet. On today's show, we have Jeffrey Dixon. He is a spiritual seeker who wanted to sit with gurus around the world to understand their teachings. In 2010, he had this experience where he felt like he was awakened and enlightened. After that experience, he wanted to create a company called Blue Collar Enlightenment to teach people about what and how they can become enlightened as well as awakened. He is an author of 21 Days, A Guide for Spiritual Beginners. His website is www.bluecollarenlightenment.com. Welcome to the show, Jeff. How are you today? I'm good, Aaron. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Oh, you're, you're very welcome. At what stage of your life did you adventure into spiritual seeking? I was 18. I'm 46 now. So I began pretty early. It was, uh, let me see, I was really a freshman in college. And I'm a walking spiritual cliche. The first book that I ever read was Shirley MacLaine's Out on a Limb, <laughs> and, um, which was one of the hallmark books of the New Age when it really began in 1987. So I read that book, and I wanted to have she was describing in that book, which was an out-of-body experience. And so the map began my spiritual seeking adventure. What made you adventure into this area? Was it the book or was it something someone told you or what? Good question. For me, when I was 18, I guess it even started earlier than that. There was a general sense that something was missing. There was a sense that there was something more and I was unhappy. And so, when I got to college and was a little bit more open-minded, a little bit more adventurous, more exploring more things, I put that on the plate. Okay, is there anything to religion? Is there anything to spirituality? Is there, you know, is there a soul? Is there something more? And so really, this seeking came right from the beginning, from that sense of lack of, there's got to be something more to this life. Um, that was that was really the in my own work today, what I call the invitation, sort of the primary invitation of life that I heard from an early age, and that continued. That same invitation continued all the way up through when I was forty something, and and then had a spiritual awakening. Okay, and at the age of eighteen. Did you have a, a sequence from 18 to 48, or was it just explore while you go? Absolutely. I had a sequence. I think it's a fairly typical sequence. So when I was in college, I was what I call a, you know, an intelligent seeker. I was just looking for answers. I was looking for proof and also some sort of social milieu that I could be a part of that was supporting this that I could have friends in, that people understood who I was, etc. And so 
it began there and it began specifically with investigations into yoga, meditation, out-of-body experiences, something called Hemisync. I was very much attracted to Robert Monroe's Monroe Institute, which offered courses and classes and products that allowed you to meditate using a type of technology. So long story short, throughout college and a few years after college, yoga, meditation, hemisync, etc., I did indeed prove to myself to a satisfactory degree that there was something to spirituality, that there's something more. So I had numerous out-of-body experiences, I had a lot of kundalini experiences, etc. Enough to say, ah, okay, there's something to this. And then I progressed on to another level of seeking, which was after more experience. So I would essentially have these experiences and they were really beautiful and, and then began a kind of uh, a cycle where I would have experiences and then I'd go do more spiritual seeking, read more books, do different techniques, etc. And I was always, and this is I think typical of a, a lot of individuals who begin seeking, of course, you're, you want to feel better. You want something more positive in your life. You, you want to have all of the feelings of lack and all of the, the darker areas of your life that you have been running from to be healed, to be fulfilled. So I did this. The problem with it, of course, is that any experience comes and goes, no matter how small or sophisticated or large that it is. And so I did this for a number of years, and I began to smell a rat. I began to sense that this is just a cycle I'm going to be continually doing and doing and doing. And this is when I first, so then I moved on to another, um, another sequence in my own seeking that instead of adding an experience to the individual, I began taking away pieces of the false parts. I began a dismantling process. And this area of seeking has more to do with non-duality, Advaita Vedanta, Zen, and some of the teachers that I was involved with at the time uh, and over the years, some of, some of them will be familiar to your readers and some of them won't. So, so these are individuals like Eckhart Tolle, Adi Da, Gangaji, Daniel Bonder, Andrew Cohen, Nick Arjuna Arda, a whole slew of teachers that when I was, let me see, this is probably now when I was in my late 20s, early 30s, and the whole Neo, what's called the Neo Advaita Vedanta movement, which includes all of those teachers, had begun in America. And so I began to seek these teachers out, read their books, and seek their company. This is in the early 90s, and in the last two and a half decades, the landscape in this area has dramatically changed because of the internet and because of the now abundance of those teachers. Back then, there were still just a handful. So I made trips to California and had teachers come out to the East Coast where they stayed in my home and we did workshops and I offered programs to people in my area, etc. So this, this went on for quite a few years and then I began to have what's traditionally called non-abiding awake. A non-abiding awake is when you have a grand aha moment you realize something deeper, something truer about yourself. 
and it sticks for a day, a week, an hour, or a month even. And then you're back to being separate ego, personality, individual. And this went on for a number of years. And it was quite painful. There's something very painful about the metaphor that I always like to use is a UFO picking you up, zipping you across the far side of the galaxy, showing you their home planet and galaxy and seeing all these beautiful, amazing and wondrous things. And then in the blink of an eye, you're set back down on the streets of Baltimore. And it's quite painful to have that experience. And this is what non-abiding awakening is like. How it is like. However, it's part of the process. It's part of the, there's a natural sequence of events, at least that I, I believe in and I teach, that are part of the awakening process, that it's almost required that you have these, these beautiful, beautiful releases, these beautiful moments of freedom, and then you need to integrate it and experience separation again and kind of wash back and forth. So this went on, we're now at about, we've gone through a really rapid fire report of, of these years. So when I was in my late 30s, early 40s, let me think here. So the awakening that I had, which was the final little, what I call this last little seed of doubt, the last little movement of this non-abiding awakening was in 2010. It's been about five, five and a half years. Did you feel like you were running from something when you met these gurus and people that were on a different level than you? Yeah, sure. I was running from, there was a lot of running. There's always a lot, a lot of running because what happens naturally in this process is you, there's no escaping going through this, through this process without running into your own shadow, uh, to, to your own pain, to the pain of separation itself. So this includes a lot of fear. This includes a lot of heartache, a lot of soul investigation that digs up a lot of stuff that you're not always interested in meeting. And very much so, Aaron, yes. There was one particular thing that I ran from for quite a few years that was just this huge amount of existential fear that would rear its head and really rip me. And I would tremor in its presence in a way that was just beyond words. And it would just make my tail go between my legs and me want to run. And so this would happen. And then six months later, you know, it would come again, but I would need that six months to sort of recuperate from it, from this encounter. This isn't true of everyone's experience. This was just my particular experience. So yes, absolutely, I was running. There's always it's it's very paradoxical path. This is it's a it's a instead of adding anything to you again, as I mentioned before, it's more of a dismantling, more of a letting go, and and, and that's a uncovering how we are in denial of so many things. Um, un uncovering that and seeing that truth definitely has its painful moments that we all tend to run from. Through your, your meeting all these people, did you find that the dismantling took you longer to get to the next level or to kind of figure out where your awakeness was coming? Yeah, there's always a frustration at time. There's always a, it's natural to the process. There's always a frustration that you want to get this thing over with, God, it just seems to you know drag on for forever and ever, and then you have a then you have an opening, and it's you know it's I I was just thinking about this this morning. There's just no part of of really of 
organic life that doesn't unfold organically. One of this, this human beings are 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 born. We're not hatched. There's nothing immediate about it. Often in in enlightenment schools or in spiritual awakening schools, there's this myth that in one moment you don't have it and you're lost, and then in the blink of an eye, bang, clear and neat and clean. In the next moment, there you are. You're awake. You're enlightened. And I really don't agree with that that myth. Maybe one in a billion of us, that's going to happen. So I'm not shoving it completely aside. But for most of us blue-collar folks, for most normal people, there's going to be a very organic, time-involved, messy biological, psychological process to that unfolds in the in the spiritual awakening process. So yeah, it, it, it definitely took longer. The good news is, for those who are listening to this right now, is I think evolution and humanity and, and has gotten better at it, even in the last two decades, has gotten so much better at it. There's the number of teachers, the amount of authors, the availability of this teaching, just peruse spiritual awakening or enlightenment videos you know, on YouTube, and there's a ton of them. So there's a lot more resources that are available to a lot more individuals, and my work, of course, being part of, of those resources. And so I think we're headed, here's, here's the beautiful news about time, I think we're headed to a point, and, and, and I hope to be part of this, where just like a college, just like a university, four or five years maybe, from the beginning to the end where you can really dive deep into it, study in a practical way, and include all of the mystery and all the paradox simultaneously that's inherent in this. But really, I think, I think we're at a point in evolution and humanity where we kind of put our foot down and say, no, this shouldn't take decades. This, this is our birthright, and it's, it's, it's now we're capable of this happening just in the course of several years. Out of all the people you've met and you sat down with, person to person, who stood out the most to you? That's a great question. So, there were, in my particular path, about 12 very influential teachers. And you kind of look at those as a funnel. At the top of this big funnel were the gurus who you would go sit, and there was no way in the world that you were going to have a one-on-one with them. They were too big, too public. And, and nothing wrong with that. So, you know, you'd go to their sanctuary or wherever, and there'd be five, six hundred people, if not more. And then you go further down into the funnel, and then the number starts to get smaller with the teachers. So I found that the teachings and the teachers that were most influential were way down at the bottom of the funnel, essentially, where you would go to a weekend workshop or you would work with these teachers and there were 20 people in a class and you could have one-on-one sessions with them. But it's just like anything. Your violin lessons, sure you can take group violin lessons, but you're going to probably get a lot more out of it if you're doing one-on-one. This is not true for everybody in all stages of seeking, of course. However, for me personally, that that closeness, that proximity, that intensity that was garnered from being with those teachers was the most influential. Now, you, you asked specifically who you know those teachers were, so there were, uh, there were uh, a handful. 
One, there was a, a student of Gangaji's, her name was Solene, and she came to my house a number of times and had workshops. I was living in Washington, D.C. at the time. So I was part of being very intimate and helpful and um, getting a lot out of her work. There was another teacher named Michael Regan, who was, you could, he was non-denominational, essentially. Um, but awake and also a really great guy. And the same thing, he came to our house and I did, you know, a lot of work with him out west. He's from Arizona. And then one of the, I think one of the great teachings that's available today is, is called Waking Down. And this is a teaching by Samuel Bonder and his wife, Linda Groves Bonder. They're the same thing, you know, a smaller teaching, more intimacy, more intensity. And then I'll throw in um, Nick Arjuna Ardog, who I also had in my home. And um, he has a great teaching and work as well. So in the grand scheme of things, Aaron, and to anybody who's listening, really this evolution of, of your own spiritual awakening is includes all teachers and teachings and life itself. There's no, you can't just go like the, the little list that I just made there, going, thinking that just because you go sit with them isn't necessarily going to be part of your path. It's more the whole ball wax, essentially, that is important. And this is, this leads me to another element of the work that I do is that I have, I think it's so vital in this process, if this is something that you're interested in relative to spirituality, to have, to hear from more than one teacher. So that in the online courses that I offer, I always have a co-teacher from another different school. And what's really beautiful about this, I don't, I, I make it very clear that this teacher is not to parrot my own teachings, but is to actually give their own point of view about the spiritual awakening process. And, and, and the class that I'm teaching right now is a woman. Her name is Fiona Robertson, and she's with Living Inquiries. And it's really great. It, it, because not everybody's the same, and it allows you to hear and see and feel different angles of this work. And, and this is what I did with, with, with the teachers that I sat with and hung out with. And so I think that's very important part of the, here's, here's a phrase I love to say, it's a very important part of the democratization of spiritual awakening. Where we're at an age where we no longer have to hear it from just one teacher. In 2010, you, you experienced this awakeness. How were you able to transmit the awakeness experience to the public in order in order for them to be awakened themselves? So yes, in 2010, I had a, was having a very ordinary day, and I walked down into my ordinary office and sat at my very ordinary computer. And I have a business called Audio Video Services, and I was working on a quote that I really didn't want to do and got bored with it. And then I started surfing the internet and being a spiritual seeker, of course, I was searching some spiritual websites and I, and I ran into a, uh, an article online and um, the article just really spoke to me. It was just the right article at the right time for Jeff Stewart. And after I read the article, the energy and the feeling state and the calmness and peace and clarity and the unity of awakening overtook me. And I knew it was important, but I'd, but also I'd experienced this state many, many times before. 
but there was something quite different about it this time, and I sensed it. And so what, what I did was began a journal, and I kept a journal for 21 days immediately after this awakening. What's it like? Because I, I sensed that this was it, but I wasn't quite sure. That's very odd, I know. <laughs> but when you go through non-abiding awakening, awakening is it. You begin to, when it comes and goes and comes and goes, in a very healthy way, you, you always allow any experience to run its course and see what happens. So this is what I was doing. So for 21 days, I kept a journal of this experience, of what it was like to get up to go to work in the awakened state, what it's like to have a marriage and a mortgage and a house and a son. My son was three or four at the time. What is it like to just interact normally with the rest of the world in, in the awakened state? To go to the grocery store, to go fishing, to go hiking, to visit your high school. I did quite a bit during those 21 days, so I kept a journal of it, and that's my first book. It's called 21 Days, A Guide for Spiritual Beginners. And, and that's how I began my teaching, to answer your question. It was just simply a... In many ways, the, the book was was written for for myself and for my friends and for my family just as a way of explaining what I had gone through and to purge myself of it and I didn't use any of the usual spiritual non-dual non-duality Advaita Vedanta religious terms it just, it just wasn't my cup of tea and so since the book it's been a and I wrote that book in 2011 it's been a slow evolving evolution of teaching, of teaching publicly, of refining the process of assisting others through mystery and paradox and, and what I call non-doing exercises and doing exercises. There is, in, in a general sense, this is what I tell everybody who comes to my work, that comes to Blue Collar Enlightenment, that this work can take you 90% of the way. That there is a there is a lot of things that, yes, indeed, one can do to facilitate spiritual awakening. And a lot of this has to do with self-inquiry, with mindfulness, with noticing the body, being present, with our emotions, with the mind, with thoughts, with physical sensations, and allowing all of those elements, but really noticing and fine-tuning. So there are absolutely, there are some, there, there are exercises and techniques that one can do. And then there's a whole other part of this work which is easily seen online because a lot of other teachers teach this, teach this as well. And it's sort of the non-doing one where you're just simply in the room. Where you're just simply present and there's a type of resonance that goes on. There's a type of being with the truth that goes on. So that's 90% of it. The last 10% for any individual going through spiritual awakening is completely out of any teacher's hands, it's, and it's also out of the hands and control of the student. So this last 10% is grace, this last 10% is mystery. And so this is how, this is what I know, this is what I experience in my own process of awakening. So quite naturally and you know, I guess normally this is just how I came to teach, and 
I always think when I'm, whenever I'm creating anything, a course or a book or a, a blog post, it's sort of like going back in time and speaking to myself. What would I want have wanted to hear 15 years ago when I was unhappy, separate, seeking fulfillment, not getting it, lost, confused? What would I have wanted to hear from just some regular guy about spiritual awakening and enlightenment? And not somebody who's a rocket scientist, PhD, and not somebody who's a guru or a famous author, and not somebody who's special and seems to be all the way at the top of the mountain, and I'll never get there. But, but what would it be like to hear it from somebody who's your next door neighbor, who is your coworker, who is your friend? What is, what, what is, how is spiritual awakening taught from that level and that point? So that's become my modus operandi in assisting people and helping people, is not to stand on top of the mountain with a bullhorn and so you can do it, you can do it. To actually go down the mountain with the crampons and the tools and the ropes and everything and to help individuals one small step at a time and to be right there next to them. I just don't think that it can work really any other way. That's not to say that the big teachers that are doing this, you know, that speak to hundreds of people, that's awesome and it's great and there's a necessity for that. But at this point in my own teaching work, that's sort of where I'm where I am coming from is this intimate and intense type of personal teaching. And is that why you call it Blue Collar Enlightenment? It is, yes. That name comes from, there's two, there's two reasons for that name, Blue Collar Enlightenment. It points to who this work is for in one sense, and I'm using that term Blue Collar very loosely in this regard course includes it's not really pointing to where you are relative to your work or anything it's just saying normal folks blue-collar folks white-collar folks however you want to look at it and then the other side of it is very much a, a way of this term blue-collar enlightenment sort of it, it dismantles and it takes the it, it defuses the whole specialness the whole uniqueness and the whole what seemed very, very rare about the term enlightenment. And it brings it down to earth. And in it, as that name, it represents everything that this work is about, which is to say that, yes, for you, absolutely, this is possible. Enlightenment is not, it's no longer in the category of being available to yogis and gurus in some mountaintop in India. It's BS. It's available to us in the way that evolution is offering it to us today. It's completely available. And it's, it's not this super extreme, aesthetic, impossible thing that it once was. And it's actually attainable. It's actually, eh, you know, it's actually not super duper seven stage million dollar enlightenment it's just blue collar enlightenment and and try it on first once you've experienced spiritual awakening in all of its ordinariness you will find that it's absolutely beautiful and amazing and um, I this is what I found I found that it was plenty enough 
So this is where the yes, this is where the term blue collar like. How would a person know if they have reached spiritual awakeness or spiritual enlightenment? Well, it's completely 100% self-evident. <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no, you know that. I mean, I I did mention earlier, you know, it's like, wow, is this awakening or not? So it's rally, you know. So there is somewhat a paradox about it. You really have to boil this work down to one thing: whether or not you're on a deep existential level, whether or not you're you're okay and, and happy and whole. So this is the this is how you know. You, you sensitize yourself. To this element of separation and fear, and you begin to really see how it's been hijacking and not making life so pleasant for you. What goes away with awakening and with blue collar enlightenment is this sense of separation. So now it's not going to manifest for everybody. For me, it manifested as a sense of existential depression. So for me, that was gone. And then simultaneously, there's this. This needs to be mentioned too because this is very, very much talked about and it's part of it. There's a, a non-dual connection and experience to the one, to the one consciousness that is living, breathing, being this whole existence. And this connection never ever goes away in in good moments and bad moments. In moments of trial and tribulation, in moments of joy, and it's always there. It's always there. So there's this deep, deep, rooted connection, and you and you're no longer separate from it, and it's right out front. It's there all the time. And really, this is this is spiritual awakening. That is the marriage part of spiritual awakening. So that's how you know when you look out and you see someone else, and you see some other thing. You have an experience, and you realize fundamentally, absolutely, that they are not separate from you; that they are you. And that's that's how you know you're there. Earlier on, you described about mindfulness and and all the elements that you you teach on the blue collar enlightenment. Yes. But what is the building blocks? Where should an individual start to progress their spiritual progress to be awakened or enlightened? Awesome question. Awesome question. So, it really does begin with mindfulness. So, for those who are listening who might already know about non-duality or Advaita Vedanta or Zen, mindfulness and self-inquiry are exactly the same. And what's really be I use I I like I gravitate towards mindfulness because right now in America and in the West there's a beautiful movement. Its scientific term is mindfulness-based stress reduction, and it's a Uh, based in neuroscience, and there's a whole technique and process, etc., where one essentially gets in touch with non-judgmental awareness. So it begins here to answer your question. It begins if if one is feeling stressed, separate, unhappy, unfulfilled. There is this is on the the one half of the spectrum of the whole spiritual awakening stuff. There's a for this condition for this. Sense of lack and unfulfillment and, de- and depression or separation or just unhappiness. There's a whole, there's a whole beautiful neuroscience and, and teaching and technique that's out there that's available to help those individuals. So this is where I start, and I think this is where you, you cannot arrive to spiritual awakening without self-inquiry or mindfulness, without knowing 
about self-awareness, without being self-aware. So instead of trying to perfect the body and perfect the mind and, and, and trying to completely get rain our emotions in, etc., it's more or less all the work and all the steps that one does in the beginning are simply about realizing being aware of awareness itself. So if I could just for one second simply point to that in this particular moment. So any of the work that I do begins with three deep breaths. So anybody who's listening, um, take a minute, inhale once, exhale, inhale twice, and the third time. So then what we do is we take a moment to notice the body, to notice all the parts of the body, and to allow anything that's there to be there. And then the next movement in this type of exercise is to notice emotions, and to allow them to. Then the next movement is to notice the mind, the thoughts, simply allow all of them to be there. And this is, if they're, these thoughts or these emotions or the physical sensations are good or bad, just simply to allow them to be there. And then we see who is the one, what is the one element that is actually witnessing, that is aware of all of these emotions and thoughts and physical sensations. Who is that? What is that? And the more, it's like a, it's a muscle. The more one does this, the more this, this sense of awareness, this background emptiness of this witness position of something comes in focus, where you see that there's, in effect, an island, there is a ground of mystery, of emptiness, of consciousness, of awareness that is untouched at all times by the parade of physical sensations, emotions, and thoughts that are ongoing. So we're and, and those and that parade never ends. Even with awakening, it doesn't end. Thoughts continue, emotions continue. It's all fine, all good, nothing wrong with any of it. But what is noticed then is this awareness. So again, back to your original question. It starts here. And what's really great about this is mindfulness is taught in something like 250, 300 universities, at least in the United States alone, that there's a that there's this whole beautiful movement which is part of the spectrum of spiritual awakening, part of the spectrum of enlightenment. So what I teach in my work any of the courses that I give, the, the first half of it is about mindfulness, about self-inquiry. And then the second half gets into the, into the more paradoxical and mysterious elements of spiritual awakening further up the spectrum. But that's where it begins, is with awareness itself and surprisingly to a you know, this may be surprising to a lot of individuals. Yeah, there, there are exercises and there are things that one can do to allow this awareness to come into focus. And this is exactly what the blue collar light course that I offer teaches. If you could look back in everything you've done so far to today, would you change anything or adjust anything? I would actually. This this is a fun. Thank you for asking. This is a, this is a funny one. So. In, in, in my own seeking and in my own path to awakening, really there's, there is nothing, I guess, that I would change and nothing that 
one can change. It is what it is. So in that regard, I, I don't. I guess I don't really have any regrets or anything that I would, would want to change. But as far as my teaching work, yeah, <laughs> funny <laughs> enough. So about a year after the awakening that I had, I had published my book. I did an interview on Buddha at the gas pump with Rick Archer. It's like your program. He uses video instead, and most of the okay. most of most, if not all, of the teachers that he or individuals that he interviews are about non-duality and Advaita Vedanta, etc. What's very odd about spiritual awakening is that essentially dismantled your ego and the personality and and the what I call the identity personality project. You, you basically just just crushed it, and you realize something truer and deeper. And so, what's very odd about awakening is that then, in order to navigate and to live, commit life, essentially this cloak and the, this clothing that you just shed, you have to pick it back up again and put it on, so that you can then be a normal human being and go to work and pay the bills and you know do all these things. At least, is this is what my preference was. My preference was not to go sit on some mountaintop somewhere and to hide away. My preference was to, okay, I'm awake, awesome. I also live and work and have a family, and I and I want to engage in the world still. So you you end up putting this this personality cloak back on. But like, here's the odd part: you don't necessarily know what kind of cloak to put back on because you can kind of choose. You know, you can choose to. How is it that you know? As far as being a teacher and doing this work, how do I want? What is it that I want to say, and, and what is that like? So one of the things I, I wasn't so blue collar in this interview. I had a really nice sport coat on, and you know my hair slicked back, and um, I didn't know who I wanted to be and how I wanted to you know teach. And I was very sort of new at this, and it was really kind of strangely at odds with the book that I just written, Twenty One Days, which is just very much a blue collar, you know, here's my experience. And so in this, I mean, it's not that big of a deal, you know, I don't have that big of a regret, and, and Rick was really awesome, it was a great interview. But I just, I, I guess I wish I'd held off for another year or two on that interview before I settled in to who I am now as a teacher, and to how I help individuals. In many ways, I'm sort of being kind of goofy with regard to this, because I have Ultimately, no regret about doing that because it served its purpose. But yeah, I kind of wish I could rewind the clock and just sit there with Rick again with a T-shirt that says "bass fishing" on it and, <laughs> and my and my baseball cap and redo it. You know, it's so funny, but it's it's all good. So to answer your question, Aaron, thanks. You talk about awakeness. You talk about enlightenment. You talk about the elements and getting there. Do you still experience yeah. anger, ha sad, happiness, joy, all those emotions? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Another awesome question. Um, yeah. So spiritual awakening does not lobotomize you. Um, it, it, it does not uh, preclude you from having any of the normal range of emotions. What, what it does, however, it kind of it removes the. Let's, let's say let's say I get angry, and I still do. Yeah, I, absolutely. I get angry and I get stressed. It removes the fangs, so your resiliency to this emotional up and down, uh, again, completely normal, um, your resiliency, you bounce right back. So let's say my dog, uh, I, have a, I have a pit bull, and she, she's 
she's really loving and sweet, but high energy. She gets off on the leash, and now she's running through the neighborhood, you know. That pu that pushes my butt, because then I got to go get her, you know, at 6 a.m. in the morning or at night or whatever. So then I get angry. You know, great. I get angry. I, I you know, I, I, I puff up, and I go get the dog, and I bring her back, and bad dog, you know. And, and then it dissipates. Or let's say, so I still have my other work. Um, my audio video services company. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot that I do there. I, I, I purchase and install audiovisual equipment for large corporations and churches, etc. And that's a that there's a lot of coordination there. There's a lot of of things to do and details, etc. So the body mind gets stressed. What doesn't happen is because consciousness is so far forward with the awakened state. That it sees it all, views it all, says, oh, yeah, there's stress, there it is, no big deal, allow it to be there, it comes and it goes, and then it dissipates quickly. So absolutely, Aaron, there's no, I think that's a, a false, another myth about enlightenment, that somehow you're, now you're enlightened, now you're immune to all of these things. But I say that, again, with what evolution is offering the world today relative to spiritual awakening and enlightenment, it comes with the full range of human emotion, thought, and physical sensations. Many, in many ways, this is, this is one of the terms that I use for this word. You could replace the, the word enlightenment with inhumanness. Because it's about fully embracing your humanity and being here present 100%. And this includes all emotions and, and your thoughts, etc. But again, to be clear here, the difference is there's more of an equanimity, more of a sense of peace, more of a sense of fulfillment as you ride the waves of this life, which includes these thoughts and emotions and sensations. Out of everything you learned, everything you experienced, is there anything that you would like to offer that is a gem to you, to the audience? One single greatest aspect tool, elements, whatever you want to call it, that allowed J. Stuart Dixon to arrive to the wake was honesty and the courage to be honest in every single moment. This, this honesty of what I was feeling way back when I was 18 years old, and then the honesty to experience many beautiful spiritual experiences, but to say, yet to say, still not enough. Having out-of-body experiences, psychic phenomena, knowing about reincarnation, it's not enough to be honest there. And then, and then further on down, sit with teachers and experience their energy and say, it's not, it's not good enough. I don't want to just sit and be with, hang out with teachers and be part of some club. I'm going to be honest here and say, I want, I want something more. And then deeper honesty, fierce honesty. When you arrive to this point where there's all this dark, night, shadow, hard stuff comes up. And to be completely honest with it and say, okay, this is just part of the process. I can do this. Yet it hurts. It's painful. It's pointing. Be honest about that. And then finally to be completely honest about just the subtlest little degree of separation that you do. Because after you've been doing this for years, you'll have many beautiful moments of ins and outs, and you can fool yourself. You can fool yourself and say, ah, you know, I, 
think I'm there, I think I've arrived there. Yet, there's one tiny little part that if you aren't completely honest about, so I was honest there too. It takes courage to have this type of honesty, this type of deep, deep, what some of another teacher called radical honesty. So that's the one thing that I would share, is, is no matter where, for those listeners, where you are right now, what is honest, what is, where, where are you honestly? You know, one of the questions is this, how's life? How is life? Answer that honestly to yourself. Take a look at your life. All the things. Is it what you want it to be? Are you happy? Or is there something more to be discovered? Do you feel unfulfilled? Answer that question. But do it really honestly. Find the courage to really investigate. And then if something relative to spiritual awakening, a blue collar and light, seems like the good thing to do, then think, then excellent. You, then you have answered this honesty and you begun to take steps to follow through. So that, Aaron, is the one, I would say the one element of my own path, which I now teach. It's part of my courses. Yep. Let's get on up here. Jeff, where can we, where can we find you? You can go to bluecollar-enlightenment.com. B-L-U-E-C-O-L-L-A-R-enlightenment.com. And there is a free course at that, right at that site. And it's a free course that is with Fiona Robertson, as I mentioned, with self-inquiries. It's, it's one of these, you know, one of those pages where email exchange and then you get access to the course and to a free book, etc. If you go to that website, there's a, a very non-commitment way of investigating spiritual awakening, investigating blue collar enlightenment, and and for you to begin to you know to see see if this is honestly for you, right? See if this works. So yeah, for those who are listening, um, absolutely go check it out. And the course that I'm teaching right now is filled and can no longer get into it. But in January, February and March is the next course date. So if you subscribe by going to Blue Collar Dash Enlightenment, then you'll find out all the details about the next course. So I think that's probably the best way to find out about this. Fantastic, Jeff. I just want to say thank you very much for taking your time and sharing your stories, experiences, and knowledge to us. Thank you, Aaron. It's been great. I have enjoyed your really beautiful questions and your presence and your equanimity. So I'm very grateful to be on your show. And I hope that more than anything, that your work and my work combined reaches a few hearts in this world and makes it makes one more individual become a little saner and a little happier. Thank you for spending the time to listen to the show. If you want to learn more, check out sansit.com. That's S-A-N-C-I-T dot com. Join Sansit Group on Facebook and contact us if you have any questions. Until next time, have an awesome day and rock on. Thank you for listening to the show. If you find this show very interesting or want to listen to more, please subscribe to iTunes Holistic Therapies by Sansit or go to sansit.com to subscribe there. 
If you really like the show, please leave a review or a rating on iTunes or a comment on facebook.com slash sanseat.